Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. of our student ministries, this is a really great opportunity for you to go eat donuts, meet Justin, um, get to know a little bit about what your kids are doing when they're not in here with us. I mean, I imagine you want to know. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me if you'd like to Exodus chapter 7. It'll be on the screen, but it may be helpful to have it in front of you so that you can uh, check the text, make sure I'm actually teaching uh, what it says. Our passage this morning is the continuation of the story of the Exodus, the life of Moses that we are studying together as a congregation. Up until this point, uh, God has been preparing Moses and now his brother Aaron to go to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go, and to demand that he release these people from slavery so that they might be taken by God to the land that he will show them. Um, And our passage this morning is particularly going to focus on Pharaoh's response and what Pharaoh's response to Moses and Aaron and to God really has to teach us. So, Exodus 7, verses 1 through 13. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it might become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this word. I pray, Lord, that it might be a warning to us, but also an encouragement of your grace that we might uh, be people who are soft-hearted. Um, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, um, there's a lot of things I love in my life, um, chiefly my wife and children, but perhaps just below them is my collection of board games. Um, if you know me, know me for any amount of time, you know that I have a relatively large collection of board games at my home. It is my hobby. It is what I enjoy collecting. And a few years ago, I had 
uh, I was really excited because I found a copy of a game that is really hard to find. Um, it is a game that's not sold here in Colombia, even in the U.S. In order to find it, you usually have to buy it on eBay or used copy because it's, it's very rare. And I found a copy of this game. I got someone to bring it to Colombia for me. I brought it to uh, play with my friends. We played it for the very first time. Um, loved it. And then I had to come home. And at this time in Bogota, before the pandemic, there were these bikes um, on the street that you could rent. They were called Muvo. And Muvo had uh, these bikes, these little basket on the front. And I rented one of these bikes to take it home from my house. Um, and I put my games in the canasta in the basket out front. And I uh, pedaled home, pedaled up the hill. I lived up here at the time. And I was exhausted when I got to my house. I parked the bike. I got off the bike. And I walked to my house completely forgetting my new game in the basket of the bike. And as you know, when you give papaya in Bogota, you very rarely, actually, I should say never, get it back. So I left it there. I didn't even realize until the next morning that I had left my game in the basket of the bike. So what do I do? I do what I, what I can. I go to the corner, the bike is gone. Muvo goes and picks up all the bikes from the day. So I thought, okay, if I were a Muvo guy and I wanted to be a nice guy, I might go talk to the Porteros at the buildings nearby and just try to leave it with them because it was probably someone who lived in one of those buildings. So I asked the Porteros. The Porteros said, nobody reported anything. I was like, okay. Um, I called Muvo. Muvo, the company, I said, any of your people report a game that was, uh, that was picked up with one of your bikes? They said, we'll call you back. They called me back a few hours later. Nobody had reported anything. Gone. Lost hope. You know, you've lost something in Bogota. All of us have. Someone has uh, taken something from us or something has been uh, left somewhere and you know that you are never, ever going to find it again in this 10 million person city. Nothing reappears. It's a lost cause trying to find things like that. This morning, I want us to think about this theme of the lost cause. What is the lost cause in this passage? Well, it's Pharaoh's hard heart. In this case, it seems like Pharaoh's heart is so hard that God has claimed him to be a lost cause. He is no longer going to respond to me. He's too far gone. It won't matter what miraculous signs and wonders God does, Pharaoh will not return, will not relent, will not repent. And so our question has to, we have to ask as we look at Pharaoh here and we see how God is, uh, seems to be giving up on him, we have to wonder, can this happen in our hearts too? Can our hearts, like Pharaoh's, get so hard that they are past the point of change, past the point of repentance, outside of God's grace? Can we become too far gone? How do we understand this passage? How do we understand what God says about Pharaoh's hard heart? And what does it mean for us today? Well, I want us to look at two points this morning. Our first point is a warning, a warning. And the second point is an encouragement. This passage is a warning for us, and it is an encouragement to us. Before we dive right into what the warning is, I want to take a moment to answer the difficult apologetic question that this passage 
leaves with us. It says in verses 3 to 4, which maybe struck you, it says, but I, this is God talking, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the lands of Egypt, land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to me. You see, the, uh, the, the Lord is talking to uh, Moses and Aaron, and he's saying that hey, what's going to happen is you're going to go there and you're going to tell Pharaoh all these amazing things. You're going to show him these signs. And Pharaoh is not going to respond. Not only that, but I am going to harden his heart. And so this has some implications about how do we think about who God is. If God is going to be the one hardening hearts, can a loving God, a gracious God, harden someone's heart? What about, what, doesn't this mean that if God were to harden him, then God is actually the one responsible for what Pharaoh does. So can a loving God harden someone's heart? And does that make God responsible? The answers are yes and no, but to understand these answers, let's begin by defining a hard heart. When it says Pharaoh's heart is hard here, what does that mean? Well, a hard heart is a will that refuses to be moved and refuses to be changed by God's words and actions no matter how evident they may be. A hard heart is a will that refuses to be moved or changed by God's words and actions, no matter how evident or clear they may be. That's what a hard heart is. We need to ask next in this passage, when exactly does God harden Pharaoh's heart? You'll note that in verse 3, God doesn't say that Pharaoh's heart is currently uh, too hard, but he says that he will harden it in the future. And so what happens in this passage after God says this? Well, Aaron and Moses, they go before Pharaoh and they say, let my people go, essentially. And Pharaoh says no, like happens many, many times. And then Pharaoh asks for some proof to say, hey, how do I know your God is powerful? And so Moses, or sorry, Aaron rather, throws his staff on the ground and it becomes a snake. It's an amazing miracle. This wooden staff becomes a snake in front of everyone's eyes. However, Pharaoh's like, I got this. He gets his wise men, they come down, they throw their staffs on the ground, and they all become snakes too. We don't really know how they did this. We don't know if it was by some demonic power or by some sort of illusion that they were able to create. Um, but they create the snakes as well. And so um, for a second, you're like, oh, well, does this mean God is powerful? But then what happens? The snake, Aaron's snake, eats all of the other snakes to demonstrate before Pharaoh very clearly that God is far more powerful than the gods of the Egyptians. And not only that, but God is far more powerful than Pharaoh himself. And it is at this point that we first see Pharaoh's hard heart. It says in verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But as we read the, if you read this in the Hebrew here, it is not at all clear who at this point is hardening Pharaoh's heart. Was it God hardening Pharaoh's heart right now? Or was it Pharaoh hardening his own heart? So we actually have to read ahead. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, give you guys a spoiler alert real quick. Next week, Bryce is going to be talking about the next passage, but I'm going to reference it right now because the next passage is the famous 10 plagues. The 10 plagues that are brought on Egypt by God to show his power. And if you read through the first five plagues, it is very clear that throughout all of the first five, it says Pharaoh was the one hardening his own heart. 
No matter what he saw, whether he saw the whole Nile River turn into blood, or if he saw frogs coming out of nowhere to be everywhere, or gnats, um, or just the sudden death of livestock, whatever uh, plague he saw, none of it gave him, caused him to relent. None of it caused him to soften his heart and to repent to the Lord. None of it uh, changed him at all. He instead decided that he was going to be stubborn. He was going to still claim that he was in power. He was still going to reject God's rule. It is only on the sixth plague, when he gets to the sixth plague, you finally see God make good on his promise. Because after the sixth plague, God says, it says that God was the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart. See, over and over again, in the face of God's clear words and actions, he stubbornly, Pharaoh stubbornly refused to relent or repent. And so finally God says, okay, so you want to be my enemy? You want to be a symbol of the power of this world? So be it. And he hardens Pharaoh's heart. C.S. Lewis has a famous quote where he says, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. You don't want to relent and experience my mercy and grace, God is saying to Pharaoh. Okay. Then I will use you to demonstrate my miraculous saving power to my people. Thy will be done. And here lies the warning. This is written originally for the people of God uh, by Moses as he's taking the people out of, the, out of Egypt into the promised land that are wandering around in the desert. And the Israelites, as you read the story throughout Numbers, um, you'll see that their hearts were constantly hardening or running away from the Lord. And this is a plea from Moses, from God, or God via Moses, to the people to please do not harden your hearts like Pharaoh did. Do not harden them. Do not turn away from me, but turn toward me. And this is the same function that it has for us this morning. It is a warning to us to not harden our hearts. So here's the truth for us. If we are pursuing unrepentant sin, unrepentant is the key word there. If you are pursuing sin and not willing to repent of it, unrepentant sin, if you are ignoring God's clear words that he has given us, if you are ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit as he calls you to repentance, you are in a very dangerous place. The more we do so, the more we harden our hearts, the more we ignore this conviction, the more we sear our conscience and numb it from the sting of healthy guilt and the sting of healthy shame that God gives us as a gift to invite us back to himself. The more we harden our hearts, the less we're able to sense his presence. The more difficult it is to uh, feel his call to Repentance. It's a dangerous place to be, and the Lord is warning us very soberly this morning to not harden our hearts. 
God calls us to have a soft heart, a heart that feels the weight of our sin, but also a heart that runs to the Lord with it when we experience it. So that's the warning. But this brings us also to a great encouragement for us this morning. The pastor and professor Howell Jones once told the story of a woman uh, who came into his office as a pastor and said, Pastor, I think I've committed the unforgivable sin. I think I'm too far gone. And uh, Dr. Jones said, "Um, okay, uh, then why don't you go do it again? And she said, oh no, I don't want to do it again. And he said, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. You see, the unforgivable sin is when your heart is to a place where it no longer feels conviction of it. Therefore, conviction, when you feel sad about your sin, even if you're still struggling with it, I'm not even saying you overcome it, but if you feel the burden of your sin, if you feel a desire to escape from it, if you feel a desire to go to the Lord and repent from it, if you feel the weight of it, that is an amazingly beautiful, encouraging sign of a convicted heart, a soft heart. That is the, means the Lord is at work in you and this morning is inviting you to run to him and to experience his grace. Even here with Pharaoh, we see that God is unbelievably merciful. We need to remember, who is Pharaoh? He's not just some dude that God decides to harden his heart. Pharaoh is this guy who has been an egomaniac for as long as we've known him. He has done everything possible in order to protect his glory and his power and his control over the nation of Egypt and over the Israelites, so much so that he has uh, genocidally attacked babies. He has killed babies as they've come out of the womb to protect his rule. He has enslaved an entire people, a people who were actually a blessing to the land of Egypt. He has responded to their blessing by putting them in slavery and by... Uh, punishing them by subjugating them. This is the Pharaoh we are talking about. And yet, even how evil Pharaoh is, God does not give up on him over and over again. He gives him signs and opportunities to repent. He invites him to turn. And we know who God is from the rest of Scripture. If Pharaoh were to turn and repent, you can guarantee that God would have received him with mercy and with grace. But this Pharaoh does not repent. But this is good news because it shows us the lengths to which God goes to give us opportunity upon opportunity to turn back to him, to find him. This morning, if you are experiencing conviction of sin, this is God speaking to you, inviting you to turn to him in repentance. What is repentance? Repentance True repentance, biblical repentance, has two movements. It's a turning from, and it's a turning to. A turning from, and a turning to. So, what does that mean? First, it's a turning from. Turning from, repentance means turning our backs on our sin. Of course, part of this means confession, like we do every Sunday morning, like you likely do in your quiet times at home. But turning your back in confession means going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I feel the burden of my sin. I feel the shame of my sin. Lord, please lift that from me. Lord, please forgive me for my sin, Lord. It's confessing, honestly, before him. But it's not just confession. 
It's also a pleading with the Lord. Lord, I need your help in overcoming this sin. Lord, I cannot go to battle against my temptation alone. I need you to help me in this battle. And it's a prayer of dependence saying, Lord, I need help in this. And then in the midst of trusting him, in the midst of dependence on him, in the midst of faith in what he will do and what he has done for you, we actually take active steps to go to battle against our sin. The Lord calls us to be intentional about fighting temptation. I'll give you an example. There's a lot of sins. I'm not trying to pinpoint just this one, but I know this is a very common one. But if, if this morning your struggle is with pornography, your struggles with pornography, when you're going to battle against pornography, you're not just saying, hey, I don't want to look at pornography anymore. You're saying, I'm going to cut it off at the roots. I'm going to catch, I'm not only going to just not look at that website, I'm also going to check my eyes when they become leery. I'm also going to check my thoughts when they run rampant. I'm not going to play with fire that I know will eventually lead me to other sins. This is not just true of pornography, this is true of any sin we struggle with, whether it's greed or substance abuse, or gluttony, or anger, or sexual immorality, whatever it is that sin is that you are, uh, you are regularly tempted by, we need to cut it off at the roots, which means fighting from the beginning where that, where that sin grows and comes out of us. Fighting it at our thoughts, fighting it in our words, fighting it in how we spend our time, all of these kinds of things. And all of this is done, of course, with dependence on the Lord, but also God has given us a, an amazing physical gift in order to fight our sins, and that is the community in which he has placed us here. The church is meant to be a place where you can have relationships with other people who know you. And I don't just mean, you know, know what you will do for work and how you spend your week. No, people who know the good People who also know the things you deeply struggle with. I'm not saying you guys need to get up here and confess to the entire congregation every time you sin, but I'm saying there should be people in your life, people in, even in this community who know you well enough to call you out on your sin, to encourage you when you struggle, to battle with you, to pray with and for you, to push you to Jesus. We all need that. And if you don't have that, I would encourage you to find it, and if you don't know how to find it, ask for help with that too. That is what it means to turn from our sin. It means to really root it out, to want to go to any means necessary to, to root out the sin in our lives that are destroying us and or those around us. It's not just turning from, though. It's not just turning from our sin. It's also turning to something. It's turning to the God who smiles at the repentant sinner, who not only smiles at them with affection, but runs toward them to embrace them when they come back to him. This is the God that we serve, the God who has much love and affection for the repentant sinner, the, the God who has every right to abandon his children who have said, I don't want you anymore, but instead brings them back into the family and says, you are my beloved son, whom I love, and whom I am well pleased. He is the one who, is, who rescues 
those that anybody else would assume is a lost cause. I thought my games were a lost cause. This is an unbelievable story. Three months after I initially left my games on the side of a road in Chapinero, I was all the way across town in La Castellana, like way over there, like, you know, blocks and blocks away. And I'm in a little store, a little uh, board game store where my friend, that my friend owned. And there she would sell uh, games that people would bring in if they, wanted, they didn't want a game anymore, they could sell it for consignment and uh, other people could buy it. And I went there and I was just hanging out and I'm looking at the shelf of games that are for sale, um, used games, and there's my game. No joke. It's right there. And I know it's my game because, one, I open it up and I see, like, it's exactly the way I left it. Two, it's the only game, the copy of that game in the entire city, I'm pretty sure. So, this is unbelievable. And it's there, and my friend says, hey, it's yours. Take it. What I thought was impossible to recover, what I thought was completely lost, was found. Unbelievably so. I could not believe my eyes. In the same way, what we would say is a lost cause. The Lord says, no. I love to save lost causes. You see, Pharaoh, he serves as a warning to us, for sure. As we look at his hard heart, we see a warning of, uh, of what it looks like when you have a hard heart and you continuously over and over again reject the Lord. But we also see, because of Pharaoh, a picture of the lengths to which God will go to rescue his people. Do You see, Pharaoh himself would have been the most powerful person on planet Earth at this time, commanding one of the largest armies in the world. If you are an Israelite normal person, you are thinking there is no way possible that I can see outside of miraculous intervention that we would possibly get out of slavery, possibly get out of uh, our subjugation here in Egypt. And God says, hey, okay, Pharaoh, thy will be done. I will use you as a picture to show my people the lengths to which I will go and the power with which I have to rescue those who seem beyond hope, to rescue those who seemed outside of possible rescue. And the same thing is true when we look at the cross. When we look at the cross, we see that just as a human ruler, Pharaoh can't keep God from saving his people, so too our sin cannot keep God from rescuing his people. Because on the cross, we see Jesus who comes and dies. And in doing so, he brings sin itself to the grave with him, conquering sin, giving, dealing its, its final death blow. So it no longer has power over us. And in that moment that he does so, the curtain in the temple rips, rips signifying that the the connection between God and people is no longer, there's no longer a barrier. But once again, people have a way to the Lord. When we thought we were lost and we thought that we were without hope, the Lord came and said, hey, here is a way. Turn to me in repentance and find the Father who loves you dearly. Find that you are still, or that you are once again a son of God. God makes a way for the greatest of sinners to repent, to turn to him, to find forgiveness and restoration. Perhaps in the Bible, there's no greater 
picture of this in the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul who hated Christians, who hated Jesus, um, who killed Christians. Anybody in the early church would have looked at Paul and said, Paul is a lost cause. Or Saul at this time. Saul is a lost cause. There's no way God could forgive him, God could redeem him, and yet Paul becomes the author of so many of the books of the Bible that we have today. He meets Jesus, he repents, and the Lord restores him and brings him into his presence and gives him the words that he writes in Romans Romans 8, which is this, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels, nor demons, neither present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love when we have it. So I encourage you, as the author of Hebrews does, today, if you hear his voice, if you hear conviction, if you're feeling conviction right now, do not harden your hearts. Turn to the Lord, the God of grace, and experience his welcoming arms. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you so much uh, that you are a God who often softens hearts, who is known for that, is known for the, to be the God who softens hearts, hearts, who replaces hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, so that we might turn to you, experience uh, your grace, um, experience Uh, repentance and forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you would um, encourage us um, by the power of your Holy Spirit. um, If we are yours, that we are yours. And if we are running from you, may you, by your grace, prick our hearts. By your grace, show us that we need you and call us to repentance. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen.